Welcome everybody to the Rogue Dead MD podcast. I am your host, Rogue Dead MD. This is actually my second ever podcast, but my first ever podcast with a guest who is not related to me. And actually the first podcast I've recorded since mid-2019, and which was not published till early 2020. Today's date is actually January 14th, 2021. Quite a bit has been going on. As always, this podcast is brought to you by no one because I do not have any sponsors. However, this space and parts of my soul are for sale. So if you are interested in either one of those, please email me, roguedeadmd at gmail.com. And please be sure to check me out online on social media at roguedeadmd. And of course, at my website, www.roguedeadmd.com. Without further ado, here we go. Welcome, everyone, to the first ever Rogue Dad MD Fireside Chat Podcast. My name is Fahd Ahmad, a.k.a. Rogue Dad MD. As you can see, I am here with my fire in the background, trying to provide a little bit of coziness for our first guest ever, Mr. Will Leach. Will is a writer, the founding editor of the sports blog Deadspin. He's a corresponding writer for MLB.com, an editor, a contributing editor at New York, has written for the New York Times, GQ, Washington Post, NBC News, has written four novels and has a fifth one coming, or four books, has a, f- a fifth novel coming out later this year that maybe we'll touch on. Welcome, Will. Thank you for being my first ever guest. It's my pleasure. I have to say, uh, just to warn you for your future guests, your, your fire side, fire's a little hot. Okay, so I'm just saying it's making me a little nervous. Well, uh, you've, got, you've got it under control back there. I, I'm not going to lie. You're going to feel even hotter once the questions start coming. Oh, no. Oh, no. This it's is going to get a little uncomfortable. I'll so, be prepared. I'll be so prepared. as I was, you know, I, I've re- as I mentioned, I've read you for a while, and I was really excited to have an opportunity to talk to you, and I was doing some more research for this, and I realized you really need a little bit of exposure. I was a little, reading a little bit more about your background, and I found that you're only the fourth most famous leech in history. Did you know this? I didn't know there was like a ranking of such things. So I, I looked looked this up and interestingly okay. i found this a week two weeks ago as i first proposed this interview you're the fourth most highest ranked leech in history can i uh, guess um yeah so hold on i'm gonna actually i'm gonna share my screen so the interestingly the website has gotten taken down in the past week and uh, i didn't record it but i found but i did keep a list of who the oh, number because one they person were underrating was. me that would be my guess my I think jackals. they were over. I think they were significantly overrating you. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so here, if you can see my screen, can you see this yes. Wikipedia page? Yes. Okay. So you can see you down here. This is not the page I found. Uh, the number one person is on here. Who do you think is number one? I would say Donovan Leach, Scottish musician. No, it is Archibald Leach, the Scottish architect. Interesting. This gentleman right here, born right around the time that Lincoln was killed. I have a theory I, for that. I have a theory yeah. as to why that is. Why is that? Because, you know, Archibald Leach, spelled differently, is Cary Grant's real name. <laughs> that is very well not the case at all. But yes, I. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's Cary what? Grant's real name. Go type in Cary Grant right there. Type okay. in Cary Grant. Cary Grant's real name. Oh, boom. But <laughs> well, that's spelled differently. I know, but I'm saying, I'm guessing that people are trying to like find, like, that. that's my theory because I've never heard of this man. <laughs> I, well, I, and I, I don't even know if I'm Scottish, but um, but you're but not yes. aiming high enough is really what the key is. I think we have to try and get you higher. You right. know, so I, I wonder if Leach is kind of like the last name Robinson in baseball. You know, you've got Jackie Robinson and Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson. Like you're never going to get to number 
one, two, or three. But if we can cement you at number four and push you up to Brooks Robinson level, that would be pretty good, I would say. Well, one of the problems is, you know, is that dude that directs uh, movies now, the, uh, David Leach. Because oh, I, yeah, I was yeah. the most famous. I was pretty confident I was the most famous alive one. But yeah. I think he's catching up with me if I have not have already passed me. Well, that's we'll see if we can do something about that with that podcast. I think yeah. depending on how this <laughs> okay, goes, they may get you up. I'm happy to help out. I appreciate all the help I can get. Yeah. So jumping into recent events, uh, there was some big news out of D.C. last week. It's been dominating my headlines. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Kyle Schwarber moved over from the Cubs mm -hmm. to the Nationals and now yes. is with the Washington Nationals. I'm curious how you think that's going to impact the NL Central race. That is the big news coming out of D.C. this week. There's no question about that. Um, yes. I would say, uh, you know, it's funny, Schwarber, actually, the weird thing about Schwarber is he actually is like starting to play defense a little better. Yeah. Like he was actually not terrible on defense last year, which is weird because it just seems like impossible that a guy like that would yeah. improve at defense. So um, I think uh, I, the, the, the thing I kind of like about the Nationals is that they feel like, like you're building around Juan Soto in the first place. So yeah. I feel like anyone that can help out at all, I think they tried Eric Timms, that didn't really work. Uh, I, I don't know. I, to me, I'm I, the weird part about that deal. I thought not to get too baseball nerdy on you, but um, they paid him more than they would have had to pay him if they had just claimed him in the first place when the Cubs released him, which I thought was very strange, but I think a lot of strange things are going to happen this baseball season, but uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to be too disoriented. By yeah. It. The format of the baseball season is obviously still to be determined and yeah. when spring training will happen and when the season will start, we'll, I guess still be figured out. I know they're. I think it's going to start on time. I think it's actually going to start on time. I think they may have to figure out something with spring training, but yeah. I do think it's going to start on time. I think it's actually going to start on time. If just because, frankly, I don't think that I think the players quite reasonably can say, well, um, I, we just did, we just did it. <laughs> we just made it through. You can't say that you, we could make it through a 60 game season. They're not going to want to take less money. Uh, yeah. unless owners want to give them the, if, if owners say we'll play 140 games but we'll yeah. pay you for 162 they might agree to that but i don't know why any player would agree to that so yeah. i think they're going to play a full season i okay. actually I honestly do okay well fingers crossed we'll see how that goes we'll talk a little more about baseball in a second but talking about the real events in dc uh, i i know from your mind everyone else's mind there's a whole lot going on in the capitol with the recent insurrection the attack on congress the impeachment proceedings the trial moving happened relatively soon to the Senate, don't know the day. And I'm curious, just sort of spitballing, I know you probably already thought about it and have been, do you think the Senate's going to vote to convict? Um, I think, it, you know, it's funny, this situation is so fluid and dynamic that I think it was, it's, it's strange because, you know, we don't know how what's going to happen to the temperature, the temperature of the country after Wednesday. Right. Like a lot of this is yeah. considering that once McConnell said that he's not going to uh, have the Senate come back in time to have him actually be kicked out of office early, mm -hmm. that changes this whole situation. Like with the, one of the whole reasons that they brought in piece of paper, papers in the first place, I would argue quite correctly, is that it feels like the house is on fire. We need to yeah. get the flame out of the house before it burns down. Um, that's not happening. They're not going to be able to get him out. Uh, in time for that. So how does that change the vote? Um, I would argue uh, there's two ways to look at it. One is uh, it gives uh, Republicans cover because every Democrat's going to vote, uh, um, going to vote to get him out. Um, but it gives the Democrat, it gives Republicans cover if he's not in office to be able to say, okay, we're not actually kicking him out of office. Okay. We're just, this is our way of censuring him somehow. On the other hand, um, by definition, uh, the vote will happen after we've survived. 
<laughs> like if if we may like the whole point of getting him out of there is making sure that we don't all die uh before b- before he gets out if this vote actually happens which will happen when he's out of office one of the major reasons of doing it which is get him out of here before we all die we've made it so uh i well, i let think me ask you about this though i mean in, in you know given the small time of remaining in his term before this you know when this insurrection happened and when the the attacks happened you know, while I think everyone who probably has shared political leanings thinks that Trump is pretty insane and could blow up North Korea at any moment, the likelihood of that happening is probably really, you know, relatively speaking low, though you never know with this man what could actually happen. So how much of this do you think is really a symbolic gesture to try and say, hey, you literally tried to overthrow the government. It doesn't matter whether you are physically still in office or not. We need to do this for the sake of precedent setting. Yeah, I think they, I think they recognize at a certain level that history is going to be like, you guys did everything. You, like this guy just had sent a bunch of people to ransack the Capitol and try to kidnap uh, Congress people. I think that, uh, I think there's a historical aspect to it. Um, I also, I don't think it's an inconsequential thing that he would not be able to run for office uh, uh, again. I think that is part of the goal to make sure that this guy uh, doesn't get back in a situation where he can run, uh, run again. Uh, but at a certain level, I don't know. Like, I don't think this was a very political calculation. I think it may be, in fact, a poor political calculation. I just think at a certain level, and I totally understand this, stand this, and it's what I would do as well. I mean, the guy sent thousands of people to try to, to ram storm the Capitol the first time that's happened in 150 years. I, you kind of just don't really have any choice at that point. And so yeah. I, I think that was the calculation as much as it was. Uh, but, you know, the, the parameters, these things will change after, uh, after he's out. Again, if he, if he doesn't blow up the world by the time that he gets out. And, and I think that you know, on one hand, yes, the odds of that are low. I would also argue the odds of that are not zero. Sure. <laughs> and I think that that is, uh, that is the consideration uh, uh, there. So, you know, the fact that the vote's not going to happen until he's out, to me, it makes it partly more symbolic. I think that's true, and partly more for the idea of history, and probably hurts the Democrats politically, uh, because then you know it's the same. I always remember. I, I I don't know how old you are, but I was. I remember I was 24 years old when the Y2K thing happened, and now 40, everybody. So loves- I was 20. I was born in 1980. I know I yeah. look like 17 but yeah you look really young familiar. i think we yeah. both look young we're good looking yeah. people and um but uh the, you know we remember at that time now it's easy to look back and be like boy look how dumb we were about y2k what a bunch of idiots we were but like it was really freaking scary and the reason the problem did not end up being uh, did not end up being the explosion we feared is because we actually sent people to tackle the problem and fix it yeah. uh I, the example i always just use this personally is i went to cover the 2014 olympics in sochi uh, and now no one remembers that like everyone was terrified to go to Sochi that year, but they were really terrified. Like literally someone from the Department of Defense said, I wouldn't send my kids on like meet the press like three days before I was supposed to go, which made my pregnant wife feel wonderful <laughs> at the time. But now no one really talks about that because nothing happened. And so it just kind of goes away. That's kind of the, I wonder if he's they're able to make it through this, if there is, uh, how much that changes the vote dynamic where they're like, well, obviously it's not that urgent now. He didn't blow up the world. Now that also might change if attacks continue after he is out. I wonder if that changes the equation. Because uh, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that believe uh, even if he leaves office, this is not going to be the end of uh, of this sort of violence. And I think that that's a factor in it too. Yeah, so I think that's the great follow-up question. So, you know, as you said, the vote's going to be the earliest would be a week from now. 
and McConnell, the, you know, the talking tortoise is going to be no longer the Senate majority leader. And so there'll be a majority of votes probably to convict, even if it's not 65, 67, if it doesn't get to the 67 needed to impeach. Do you think the vote will be meaningful in even a symbolic way 10 days from now if the world didn't blow up at that point? Is there a meaning to a, a, a positive or negative for conviction? I think if, I, I think it actually may actually come down to McConnell, not so much whether he convicts or whether he doesn't, but if he votes to convict, even if he doesn't get enough senators to go along with him, A, that says its own thing, that McConnell can't just direct people to go do things yeah. anymore. But also it, like this, it, like, I mean, McConnell is the definitive Republican figure of the last 25, yeah. 30 years. Yeah. If he on the way out votes to convict, uh, that says something, even if he's unable to get along, uh, people yeah. to go along with him. So, so uh, yeah, I think it matters. I, I think there's there's value in, even if the board does not blow up before then, I think there is value in getting people on the record for the historical note to say, when this guy sent people to attack the Capitol, here are the people that said this guy should be out of public life and should be impeached, and here are the people who didn't. Yeah. And I think there's That's value fair. in that. So, you know, talking about whether the movement might end, you know, so I'm Pakistani Muslim by background. My parents are from Pakistan. I was born and raised here. I have a lot of friends that are Muslim. We've grown up in an environment in the United States talking about our culture, our religion as essentially terrorists. And my friends and I have joked around, you know, it's not just what, you know, if Black Lives Matter people, you know, we've had the very clear contrast of what happened with them being, tear, you know, tear gas, et cetera. And my friends and I joke, what would happen if it was us storming the Capitol, a bunch of Muslim guys from the Midwest, right, to, you know, people like me. And they found all these people with the white supremacists that had Molotov cocktails and, you know, right. guns and things like that nearby. And none of my friends own guns. Like, I think I have one Muslim friend that owns a gun. We're the least violent people I know, right. frankly, compared to most of the white people. I don't think me. there's any question about that. And, <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, so I don't know if we'd be like storming the Capitol with a bunch of like spicy samosas and like throwing those and then people want water. We're like, no, you got to drink chai. This is how we're going to bring down Nancy Pelosi and, and McConnell is by just over spicing you to death and or something like that. Um, but I can only imagine you know, the backlash from the Muslim community, like, you know, people have been bugging mosques for years in New York, they're looking for terrorists, but now they don't want to censor a parlor because it's free speech. And so, you know, it's, it's obviously a very hypocritical approach. The government has taken, society has taken. Um, it's not lost on you. It's not lost on me or really a lot of minorities, let alone uh, non-minorities, those who are in power. But um, it's an interesting dynamic, and I don't want to dwell forever on this because I think no. a lot's going to happen just in the next week, but it's a very curious thing to see what's going to happen when Trump is out of power physically uh, in terms of the White House, what's going to happen with his branding? And we'll have to wait and see. It'll be very interesting um, because, you know, that transitions to my next topic I want to talk about, which we've had a uh, unfortunate not been able to talk about much the last couple of weeks is COVID. Uh, yeah. So, you know, yeah. we're now having 4,000 people a day die from COVID. Um, in the 15 minutes we've been talking, give or take, that's, you know, there's been three people per minute. So that's 40 to 50 people have Jesus. died just in the time that we've been talking. So I'm a practicing physician. I work in a pediatric ED. I've actually got a lot of doctors in my family, a lot of doctors in my friend circle just because of how I grew up. Uh, my dad's a physician and he's actually quite sick and in the hospital right now for oh, a non-COVID related reason. Thank I'm you. Sorry. He's he's hopefully going to be okay. It's a separate story that we won't delve into today, but COVID is impacting my family's ability to see him, my ability to go visit. And I personally, when it came to COVID, I beat the rush. I had COVID in March of last year, right? Oh, when the too. world shut down, the, the mm -hmm. weekend the NBA got shut down is the week oh, I wow. got exposed. Uh, so exposed so like before before the NBA before the I was on, I was on a flight to give a talk at a conference 
And at that, uh, when the NBA shut down, and then that weekend while I was at the conference, I got exposed somehow, and I came back oh. to St. Louis and got co developed my symptoms the day after I returned. And oh, wow. in that weekend, I was there. The sports world shut down. Yeah, it was that right. weekend. So, uh, you know, it was interesting. It was scary. Um, but my perspective as a physician, surrounded by physicians, working in a hospital, um, having friends in healthcare, it's very different than anyone else because of that kind of background. But I'm kind of curious, how has COVID sort of impacted? your perspective on things. I know obviously there's been a, it's impacting everything. It's hard to narrow it down, um, but I see everything almost now through a COVID lens, non-COVID lens, and it's hard for me to differentiate. Has it gotten to that level for you? It, it's, it, for me, one of my biggest struggles with this is figuring out what, how we get back, the things that we've learned about people uh, in our lives. You know, I, I, mean, I, wrote a, I wrote a column for Medium a while back called There's Disinfo in the Carpool Lane. And, uh, and it really is that kind of idea. You know, it's hard to, you know, depending on, it's hard to find any sort of calamity that, you know, every, uh, let's put this, every calamity up until this one has given at least some people, I would argue, uh, uh, well-to-do white people specifically, some cover. Like it's something that can happen, like it's something that happened in New York, or it's something that happened because of, uh, of people that are different than me, or I believe that they're different than me, or it's something that happened out in a big city and it wouldn't affect me here. And this is the one thing that like everyone has been affected in every way. I remember in the early days of this, there was a story uh, uh, right after Georgia kind of reopened and the Washington Post sent a reporter to like a mall in Atlanta and just interviewed all these people just shopping like it was nothing. And uh, and they interviewed these two shithead, sorry, poop head. Um, um, uh, Rated R is okay, I don't care. Yeah, okay. uh, 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 like frat bros in there. And, and they actually said on the record with their names to the Washington Post, they actually said, um, well, you know, if you look at the communities that are getting this, you know, it's not something that we're too worried about. Yeah. And uh, at the time that was infuriating. Now I bet they don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> like, like it's, it's everywhere. Right. You know, and, and to me that has affected and it was everywhere then, but like, I think that like now you can't, uh, like, like it, to me, the strangest thing about it, about seeing, I know there are still COVID deniers, it feels like there are fewer just because like, I remember in the early days of this where it was just like, like I, I live in Athens, Georgia. I did not know anyone in my life. I knew people back in New York who had had it, but I did not know anyone that had had COVID probably until May. And now I know a lot of people who have had COVID. And so, and you've seen, you, you've seen how people react to it. I, what you've learned about you know, you uh, like people that you, you say hi to in the morning when you walk your kids to school or you or you uh, play basketball with or you people saw at their place of worship, you know, that they didn't would have they've never had to have any political discussions or they never had to have. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden now, you know, something, you know, that like, oh, well, the like that that mom of my kid's best friend scowled at me for wearing a mask in the Kroger. That's a, something I know now. How do I go back? Like, how do we go back? Right? Like, how do we go back? Oh. When? The, go ahead. Yeah. When this? Yeah, I, was when say, I, I don't. I don't think there is a going back. You know, there. You know, we talk about normal and the new normal. The new normal is going to be different than the old normal. So I don't think we go back. I, I think agree. I agree. To... But like, there's still going to be my kids are still going to be the same school with them. Yes. Like, I understand that. Like, the the going back to 2019 is not going to happen. But 
eventually, hopefully my children still homeschooling will eventually get to go to school again and her and she will be there with her children and they will eventually be there too. And I would now when I wave to her in that carpool line, regardless how, uh, however else the world is different at that point. Now it's just information that like in the general kind of vague, hazy patina that we have over uh, our society, it never gets so deep where you learn that like, oh, well, person is a science denialist and that person uh, uh you know th- uh, it, it's a it's a hard thing to learn and i think it's a it becomes even more emotional the closer that covid gets to you and i think that like yeah, yeah and, and so and there was a long time where shaming was the thing everyone was shaming and then there was kind of a backlash to shaming and we're like okay let's not shame let's all try to figure out how are we going to live together after this but it's funny as more and more people like as covid gets closer to them and as they see like their loved ones start to get sick i feel like it's radicalizing people <laughs> and, you know just to speak from my own experience, so having had covid back in march last year it was absolutely stigmatizing so as a practicing physician in a I'm sure. university here Uh, It was very stigmatizing. And I even, I think I was probably one of the few first known cases in our region uh, because I traveled and brought it back and had access to testing. And the, you know, the health department, I guess, told the police, the local police department was doing drive-bys of my house to make sure I was in quarantine. And my entire (laughs) neighborhood found out about it because of that. Oh, wow. And, you know, I'm in an area that's a mix politically, some liberal, some, uh, some conservative, and when I had some Black Lives Matters Biden signs up in October, November, I had someone send me some anonymous hate mail, um, really attacking me for being a Biden BLM supporter and for having COVID. Yeah. So was, oh, that was part of it. They added that part too. No. Yeah. So actually, they yeah. wrote a note saying uh, they actually copied an editorial that was attacking Black Lives Matter from a local suburban newspaper, and then re- gave me a Trump for uh, Women for Trump 2020 bumper sticker, mm-hmm. and then wrote. Because uh, I had also had a sign in there that said STD, stop the Donald, that was on my front lawn. Uh, right. And they wrote a note in there that's something to the effect of, um, oh, it, it basically was saying something to the effect of uh, STDs are for doctors who expose their patients and community to COVID. Awesome. And, Awesome. Yeah, so that's so, in October. That's like yeah, that's this not was right even like the, the election. Early. No, this is right wow. before the election. Wow. Wow. I mean, I responded by putting literally 15 more signs up in my yeah, yard yeah, at the point right. where people were like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> um, but so I want to transition to going on to the, as you kind of alluded to with kids. So, do you plan to get your kids vaccinated when or if if or when it becomes available? Oh yeah, listen, my I for of course, I mean, I, I'm sure they're last in the line, yeah. but uh, but yeah, of course. Uh, my my mother actually got her first vaccine shot yesterday. As a matter of fact. And your mother's a nurse, correct? She is, and she's a retired nurse. Retired nurse. So okay. so she's not involved with like a sure. like she's not involved in like a, a like she had to get it like the rest of us had to get it. She's not like involved with a sure, with sure. like Piedmont or anything like that anymore. Got it. So um, but uh, so she 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 actually it's not going well the vaccine rollout in Georgia. She had to drive three yeah. hours armed literally with just an email address that wow. she, she that she had uh, she secured her time with an email address. Like it could have been like yeah. fart knocker 63 at hotmail and and it wasn't she showed up with the actual appointment but yeah. like she could have been 13 like like yeah, you know who yeah. knows she could have been some jerk off dorking around and taking spots and uh it's a total mess but no. but she got it Good. and Good. and and my dad's getting his on saturday and my mother-in-law awesome. got hers yesterday as well and it is uh, it is you know 
everyone has their things that they worry about personally on this. I'm worried about the world. I'm worried about every, everything in that. But you know, I, I think everything is most urgent close to home. And you know, I yeah. my parents uh, uh, moved here to Georgia from Illinois about two years ago, uh, largely so they could retire, hang out with their grandchildren, and travel. And then COVID happened, and they got to do hardly any of those things. And yeah. I've been worried about them being ill, and I don't want that. You know, I this is like I. I know that some people, like when I think of COVID, I don't want to get COVID. I, I, I'm, I, I don't know what your experience was, but I know people have had, some have been okay. Some people have had very bad experiences. I'd rather just not push it. You know, I, I smoked for 10 years. Like I'm just going to try to just- <laughs> You avoid. already had your risky behavior. You got yeah, exactly. I, and okay. I, I think I'm generally healthy, but you know, this is not roll the dice here. Uh, but at, certainly the, um, um, not, that's not my primary concern. My primary concern is giving it to my parents or to yes. giving it, and like, and so, so for me, the, the weight, uh, when they get that second shot, yeah. uh, that the weight off my, uh, back will be considerable. And I know, uh, I know that like, I, I wish that our major battle right now was getting people to get the vaccine. Like, cause I know that that's like a thing, right? That some people like don't want to get it. So, so just speaking up from the healthcare perspective, yeah. I will say while the vaccine rollout is a giant cluster pretty much everywhere, I think it's also overshadowing the fact that I can tell you that in major healthcare systems still anywhere from 40 to 70% of doctors and nurses are not getting vaccinated right now. There's plenty of places that have vaccine appointments available in big healthcare systems where people are just unsure. So I've talked to many people fewer doctors, more other types of healthcare personnel, but still physicians as well, who don't want to get the vaccine right now. Now there's less, there's fewer people saying, I'm never going to get it. I don't need it. But there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy, even in the healthcare community, I think partly because it's been politicized during the development and the rollout. And so I know a lot of people who say they want to wait two, three, six months, look for longer term side effects, who don't listen to the messaging, trying to be put out there regarding safety, the development process. And that's just what I know from the healthcare system. So my guess, you know, I don't know different subsets, but this is not just isolated to my system. This is across right. the country. This is happening. And so while we have to do a much better job rolling out, I think there's a lot of messaging that hasn't happened and a lot of skepticism, unfortunately, that's going to make this even harder than we think. That's discouraging. I have to say, I did think that, uh, you know, doctors wouldn't be dumb about it <laughs> and, and listen i we all understand that it was rushed it's, yeah. it's a little nerve-wracking when you hear warp speed like that is yeah. that is not like the most uh that doesn't feel like the most you know medical term <laughs> so it's not i mean i'm a star trek fan and that is not a medical term but you know i i will say interestingly and i i this is purely anecdotally so i don't want to speak on for large groups behalf I hear fewer, less hesitancy, less hesitancy among doctors than I do among nurses and other healthcare uh, workers. I can't, I don't want to delve into a long discussion about why that is, because I think that's beyond even my own ability to yeah. explain that. Um, but I think that's something I've certainly observed personally. Now, my own unit where I work, I think it's almost universal. Almost everyone's getting vaccinated, mm-hmm. and the uptake has been extremely high. Uh, but I also, at least where I work, there's a lot of people from underserved communities, people in the black population, and a big issue is. A lot of people in the black pop, black uh, population have had historical. Oh, um, I get it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> perpetuated yeah. against them. But even them, even those in healthcare with that background, are then more skeptical. Now, I will say, just from a science standpoint, for anyone who does, I don't know if anyone's ever, by the way, ever going to end up listening to this besides me and like my three, you know, three or four friends, <laughs> by the way. But for those who do listen to this that don't know either of us, having had a chance to discuss this with infectious disease specialists, discuss it with people who know the science, while well, having read the science. While it was done faster than any vaccine development in history, 
and while Trump did politicize it, I actually think the science was done quite well. And I don't I actually don't think it was rushed. I actually think it was done exceptionally well. Um, but because of the way it was done in such lightning speed, warp speed, it made it harder to get the messaging out to communicate that. And then it got politicized on top of it. But um, you know, th this is a problem we're going to be tackling for months and then years. So it's not yeah. going away anytime soon. It's, and this it's, is it's be what happens when you when you literally elect the worst person in the world to become your president, right? Like in all serious, like like th there's not a thing he could have done. Like like there's like, like this is what happens when you lose people lose faith and lose trust and yeah. and and are lied to and believe like it's just like we can't even get like the bait like we like it is remarkable whether it's rushed or whether it wasn't it is yeah. remarkable that this thing exists now right like i was yes. I, I listened to the daily in the early days sure. with uh, uh when 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 what's his name that uh the the disease specialist the reporter there was like oh it's 18 to 24 and that would be like a land speed record yeah so like it is it is a very uh us in this current situation moment yes. to have this unbelievable medical breakthrough to be able to get here and be like yeah i'm not sure like I'm not sure. Like yeah, that is that, that 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 speaks very that speaks to a lot to where we are right now. So I'm curious. I want to transition as we go from talk about another topic. Transition COVID and talking about parenthood a little bit. So I'm a father of three boys, 11, seven, and four. I know reading oh, wow. your stuff, you've got two boys. Uh, I'm curious. Nine and six. The, how old? Nine and six. Nine and six. Yeah. So similar ages, and so. You know, the conversations I've had with my boys about COVID and about the political climate, I tend to be pretty upfront and open. I have a family that talks politics. I grew up listening to politics. We, I grew up watching headline news, so I was always exposed to it. So we talk about, we've talked about Trump since my kids were little. Uh, we talk about quarantining and COVID. And so actually my four-year-old just got out of quarantine today after an exposure from his preschool. And his brothers just got out of quarantine three days before that because of a separate exposure. And my four-year-old's been asking me for nine months, you know, daddy, when is COVID going to be over? Daddy, when is COVID going to be over? And he can actually say the word quarantine exceptionally well. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't pronounce the letter R, but he can say the word quarantine really well. It's part of his vernacular now. And so I'm curious, what has your conversation been around COVID and politicizing it or not politicizing it with your kids? What's, what's your discussion been? But we talked about the carpool thing. How yeah. have you approached that with your kids? Well, you know, so much of it, I mean, you know, we talked earlier about how something that affects everybody's lives. I mean, they're not going to school. I mean, like to me, like I, there's nothing more disruptive to a kid that like, you know, we spent the first eight years of William's life and, and five years of Wynn's life saying, don't look at screens. We're not the family that looks at screens. We read books, we go outside. And then, uh, and, and you know, they, like obviously kid, parents get tired. You watch some Bugs Bunny if you need to. But like, generally speaking, we are we are the not cool fam parents uh, among all of all the family. Like we are the ones that are very, very kind of uh, re regimented about that. And now it's like, oh yeah, also uh, please stare at the screen all day for your education and you don't get to see your friends anymore. I mean, it, it's, it's impossible. I mean, you know, that's so, um, uh, it's so disruptive. Uh, like we're very lucky as parents. My wife and I both work at a home. We've been able to uh, to have childcare just with us, but uh, that's not the case for most people. And it, you know, the to me, the thing with the kids' school have I I, I know everybody has their own viewpoints on this, and I don't want to I, I, I don't want to uh, tell anybody that that uh, this is a complicated issue. You got to go is, back to the carpool lane at some point, so you got to be careful what yeah. you say. Yeah. Well, I would just say that like <laughs> this is not you know this is more complicated than whether you should wear masks or not. Yeah. Like like wear masks, get a vaccination. Like those things are not complicated. Schools so, being open is more complicated. Now, so are you I, having discussions with your kids about? 
what it means to be around someone who's not wearing a mask. You know, when you go to the grocery store and you make your kids wear a mask or why you don't let them go when they hear that someone else might be. I mean, are you talking to them about interactions with their peers or the parents or things along that line in terms of, you know, the way we're talking about adults and maybe it's coloring us, you know, oh, we see someone at the grocery store and they refuse to put their mask on properly or things like that. Are you having discussions about your kids and say, yeah, I know you saw kid people there doing this. How, how are you bringing that kind of conversation up with them? Yeah. Avoid, was, avoid having them take that bias or are you wanting to give well, them that bias? We consider it more like in the same way that like, it, you know, before this, if a kid got in trouble or misbehaved in one of their classes, back when they had classes in school where they all gathered in rooms and studied and had actual yeah. school. Um, the, we, we always tried to make it clear that if someone got in trouble, uh, they might've been doing the wrong thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a, wrong, they're a bad person. And that was an important lesson for us kind of from the get-go. So uh, that is easily transferable to the mask thing. There's a girl in my first graders class. They went, they were back in school for three weeks. They were actually back in person for three weeks. Okay. And then they, and then they, and they didn't, we actually had no problems at our school at all, but cases started to increase over Christmas. And so now they postponed yeah. coming out. And, um, but there was a girl at school that just kept like not wearing a mask. And the teachers would remind her and then she would put it on and then they would leave and she would take it off. And, uh, and our son, and I was just like, what should I, you know, I keep telling her to put it on. And we just said, just keep telling her, like, don't be rude about it. Uh, you, but like anytime that you want to remind her that she's supposed to put her mask on, you have the right to do that. It doesn't mean that she's a bad person. It doesn't mean that she's, it just means that she's wrong and she's doing the wrong <laughs> thing. And, uh, and it's okay because listen, they don't need to be reminded. They do the wrong thing a lot too. <laughs> They're kids. And so do I, cause I'm an adult and I do the wrong thing all the time too. So uh, we, we, it's not, we try to make a value judge uh, about it, but you know, it, the, the, I really, it's just the fact that they're not in school is uh, it's, I really think, I know people here who uh, um, like we, one weird thing about being here in Athens is we are surrounded by counties where everyone's in school. Yeah. Like, cause they're more rural and they're just saying, go for it. We're doing it. Some people don't even mandate masks, um, which is strikes me as insane, but uh, our school did, uh, but everyone else is back to school and we aren't. <laughs> and it's hard, obviously, uh, when you're surrounded by counties that aren't that. But, you know, we know people like the, there are people that of all the things in this pandemic, not having their children in school every day has been the hardest thing for them. And yeah. and I and it's hard for me, like, man, it's January, it's mid-January, like first grade is almost over and it's kind of an important grade. So uh, and I feel like he's missed it. You know, yeah, and uh, my, middle, I've my middle kid had to leave kindergarten in March last year, and he's first grader now. And it's been he's gone back part time, or they're yeah. sort of hybrid, but he was missing a lot being entirely virtual. It was, it was yeah, it's rough. it's yeah, I mean, it's terrible, it's terrible. And and I think that, like, in like you know, I've, I've read this about this before, but in like 10 years, generation COVID is going to be like a whole thing with these kids of just like how far yeah. behind they fell. Like, one year, and listen again, we're lucky. We have reliable wireless access. Yep. They have parents that are in the home with them. Yep. Most of these kids don't. And yep. so I, th this is where I, I understand this is a complicated issue, but I do think you can make a pretty, I think this is where things got politicized, right? Uh, I think when, when Trump started to pound his fists and say, these kids need to be back in school, a bunch of people who I think otherwise would tend to see the complications and the complexities of this, I said, oh, understandably said, wait, that's what he's saying. Okay. He's always wrong. So I'm going to go the other way. And I think it turned it into something that unfortunately, 
uh, uh, kids who have nothing to do with it uh, are, are the ones suffering. So I want to transition before time runs out to a couple other topics here. So I've been reading this book. I think this may be shown up backwards from you from, from about <laughs> 10 years ago called Are We Winning? And it's called it, the subtitle Fathers and Sons in the New Golden Age of Baseball. So I mentioned my parents are from Pakistan. They don't have any interest in sports. They didn't even like cricket. My dad's one of those South Asians who apparently didn't like cricket. And so when we, you know, I was born in St. Louis, they moved here right before I was born. My brothers and I are all baseball obsessed and they mostly just indulged us, tolerated it, took it. They did take us to games. Like we were all very baseball obsessed and still are for the most part. Um, you know, and I wonder, as I was reading this book, you wrote this book from the perspective of before you had kids is sort of sort of the connection to your father, the sort of how that passes down the connection that maybe you and your father are very different, but you always have that bond. And that's part of what baseball is. And you wrote this sort of a future son and what that you might envision that bond would be in the future. Uh, you know, I'm curious, looking at my sort of my kids in ha having sort of a similar obsession, I wanted my kids to be obsessed with baseball because I was obsessed, no matter what else was different, I, even though I didn't connect with my father on baseball. Uh, you know, when I was in St. Louis in 2011, when the Cardinals won the World Series, I was in training, I had one kid who was two, and I didn't have a ton of money and I bought tickets to game seven in advance and paid like $900 oh, wow. to get two tickets and had to work a ton of extra ER shifts and uh, my spouse was not happy, uh, but we went and I took my two year old because he was free. Uh, at that time. And I wanted to go, even though it didn't make a lot of financial sense because baseball was such an important part of my life. I basically told her that like, I, you know, if I die tomorrow, I want him to know how important baseball was to me. And that I want him to know he was at game seven, whether wow. we win or lose. And then to see us win, like that's a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. And we'll talk about the Cardinals hopefully in a minute. Like it really might be a once in a lifetime thing. Like, I don't know when we're going to go back to the world yeah. series. Um, but you know, my, now my kids are older and I think I've done a much more negligent job in terms of making them insane about baseball the way I still am, even though I'm less crazy. I put up a Yadier Molina growth poster in my seven year old's room earlier this week, or last week that I had had laying around. And he knows who Yadier Molina is, he should, but he asked me, who is that? And I was like, Oh, Jesus Christ, how do you not know who Molina is? What am I doing as a father that you don't know who this is? So I'm curious how this has evolved for you. Uh, you know, a lot of it is gauging interest. When I wrote that book, I, I mean, the idea of, of me potentially having a son who didn't like baseball was very worrisome to me because that was the main reason, the way that I talked to my dad. You know, that was one of the main things we were able to communicate about. So I was worried about it. Now I have two sons. My older son is very obsessed with baseball and all sports. And, uh, and we have, and he is, he indulged, he's, he's as deep into this as, as, as I was, probably more than I. It's very frustrating now to be, he certainly loves to point out that, that uh, his dad, who is a professional sports writer, doesn't know some of the things that he knows now because he's, he's obsessed, you know, he's, he's nine, you know, this is yeah. like his whole world. Um, and my other son doesn't really care, uh, which is, I think, which is, I think is actually probably great. <laughs> and and I, I hopefully means we're doing something right. Um, but yeah, it's great to be able to have that, that, you know, I tried it back when you could go to games. I went to St. Louis with him uh, once a year, the same way I always went to Bush State with my dad once a year, uh, even when he was back in Illinois and I was in New York and then out here. You know, it's uh, it's a different experience. Uh, I feel like I actually, in retrospect, now that I'm now that I see my son doing it, I realize that a lot of the I always thought that my dad was saying, "You're a Cardinals fan, and you're going to be a Cardinals fan," because that's the most important thing here. Now that I'm going through it with my son, I realize actually probably I was the one providing the energy to it, and he was just really really excited to have something to do with his son. Um, and not that he didn't love the Cardinals, I love the Cardinals, and I have the same experience with with him. But certainly. 
uh, I realize now that, you know, it's even more vividly that it's something that he wants to do with me. And, uh, and, and so it's great because something I want to do with him too. And also I really like talking about the Cardinals, so I don't have to be yeah, asked twice about it. Uh, but uh, it's, it's great. It's so different though. I, you know, I haven't gone back and read Are We Winning in a while. Um, I wonder how differently it reads now that I am an actual father. I always love Chuck, Chuck Klosterman has the blurb on that book saying it's the, it's the best book uh, about fatherhood written by a childless man, best book about Midwestern fatherhood written by a childless man from Brooklyn, <laughs> which yeah, I yeah. thought was amusing. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, but now, exactly now, I, so. now, now I am an actual, uh, an actual uh, parent and uh, uh, it, it's richer than I realized it was uh, in that book, and, uh, that, which is really exciting. Well, I agree with all that. I mean, my oldest is who knows a lot about baseball compared to his younger brothers is obsessed with comics and Zelda. And he's been telling me all about all these random monsters he's been killing on his <laughs> Nintendo and whatever. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like I never played that as a kid. I played lots of games, but I never played that. And he just wants to talk about it all the time. And so I'm getting interested because of him. And we don't talk baseball because it's not his interest. I talk about it with my friends. I talk about it with family that are interested. Um, but we don't talk much baseball. I put it on the radio. I put it on the television. They see the paraphernalia. You can't see it around me, but I've got Cardinals and other sports stuff in this room all around me. And they actually don't know this. Um, this weekend, they're each going to get a signed Cardinals thing to, uh, from a, uh, to put in their room, one from Molina, one from Ozzie Smith, and one from Sam Usual. I'm going to put one in each kid's room. They're going get to pick, get to pick where to put it. And it's going to be more to me than it probably is yeah, to them. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. but that will make it mean more to them. Like yeah. that to me, that that's what I've kind of learned from this is, yeah. is that like that bond I have with my dad, it was more from me than I realized. I had, yeah. I thought it was just something that we did together, but now I think I was driving him more than he was driving yeah. me, which and is I which is fun. My parents, that I think that was the same thing. My, I didn't realize how, that my parents didn't think that much about baseball, but I connected with them. We have very different backgrounds. They grew up overseas, speaking a different language, very different culture. And even though they still don't care about baseball, they still know that my brothers and I do. And so they'll still, yeah. back when McGuire was here in St. Louis, they would talk oh. about him and things like that. And you know, my dad really doesn't care at all about baseball, but he still will ask those kind of questions. And so it's a connection that we have. And so I appreciate that Go, as a father, going out of your own comfort zone for your kids is something you have to learn to do. So yeah, uh, let, let's wrap up talking about sports specifically, the Cardinals. What's your outlook for 2021? Should we care? I think we should care. And frankly, the fact that the rest of the division is not very, it doesn't seem to care any more than the Cardinals do is uh, that's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like the, you know, I mean, the Cubs may be tearing down completely. We'll see. Uh, I mean, I think the Cardinals can still win the division next year, even if they win 85 games. And I think 85 games is very much on the table. I think that this looks like an 85 or 86 win team, uh, which may be enough to win that division. Who knows how the playoffs are going to be? Maybe that will be enough to get into the playoffs uh, again. That's uninspiring. Um, I think I can deal with it for 2021 because it's such a weird, weird year, not just from the macro sense that we don't know when there's going to be fans in the stands or, uh, and, and that's something that I think, I think while I, I am not sympathetic when the Cardinals cry poor, considering how much money everyone's made for so long, yeah, I yeah. do appreciate that like the card that probably affects the Cardinals more than it affects a lot of other teams yeah. with, big, with big cable contracts. Um, but to me, the larger thing, uh, the, the more specific thing for the Cardinals they have a bunch of money coming off the books after this year. And to me, uh, if there were ever a year to just kind of, there's a lot of logic. I don't know if I, as a fan, I love it, but there is logic to the idea that like, listen, this is a weird year. We don't even know if there's a DH. We don't know how many games we're going to play. We don't know how, when fans are going to be in the stands. Everyone else in the division is doing nothing to chat, to, to, to push, to, to do anything. If not, some are even tearing down entirely. Um, 
and we've got a bunch of money coming off the books from Fowler and Carpenter and, and so on. Uh, it makes, and there's not like a ton of great, huge players on the market right now that will be out. Trevor Story would be a great example of this, of someone who I think is a, could be a really perfect fit, fit for St. Louis uh, next year. Um, I don't think the Cardinals are punting. If they're punting on this year, then I would be angry, but and I'm still annoyed, but I do kind of get it. It's, I don't like enjoy this year. I, if, hey, yes, uh, for crying out loud, the Cardinals are going to be playing baseball in the middle of a pandemic when everything is falling apart. And I don't know what the hell's going to be going on. I will watch a Cardinals game. I shocked myself actually how much I loved watching the Cardinals in the 60 game season. And I found myself even not as wrapped up as I usually am. Uh, we didn't do, I did the podcast with Bernie Miklas, uh, of course, up until this last year. I missed it. But like on that podcast, it was always like, why aren't they trying to win? This is frustrating. We need to be the Cardinals and so on. And I found myself more just appreciating the game at like a micro level uh, this yeah. last year. I found myself, I listened to a lot of games on the radio and it felt like just like a little different place to go uh, than uh, uh, I found, like I just wasn't as upset about how the Cardinals were doing yeah. Uh, as I was just like appreciative of the fact that they were playing at all. Now that's not a long-term condition, <laughs> yeah. but I do think during I the agree. pandemic, I mean, it, it was, it was 2020. Helpful. I, I actually probably watched less Cardinals baseball on a per inning basis. than I did the, any other year of my life, I followed them. I talked about them. I didn't watch the games because uh, it was hard. It was hard for me to be captivated with other things going on you know, yeah. in the world and life. Um, and it was hard to really feel like it was a real season. So it felt a little fake to me. Yeah. Uh, and, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to 2021 just to have that daily rhythm back in my life. I definitely am one of those people that love to have it on the radio in the background and the TV in the background, even yeah. if I'm not paying attention inning by inning. That's the thing about having a full season, right? Like the whole, like last year was weird because baseball games are not supposed to be 60s games. <laughs> They're just yeah. not. I mean, never minding the no fans, never minding all the weirdness yeah. of it and the, and the pauses and the positive cases. There's just not supposed to be only 60 games in a year. And it felt yes. weird. It felt, and like the whole point of baseball is it happens every day. And yeah. some days you watch and some days you don't. And sometimes you find out what happens the next morning. And some days you're obsessing over every pitch. And sometimes you have a beer and just chill out. And some days you, you watch every pitch like it's the biggest thing in the world. That to me is a great thing about baseball and a 60 game season felt almost like more of an aberration than the no fans thing. Yeah. To me. So I'm going to wrap up with the very last thing. I know you are movie obsessed. Uh -huh. I want to do our Kevin Costner sports movie rankings okay. here. Okay. So I took this list off of a website and some of these are not traditional sports movies and you can see they put Robin Hood in there because of archery. <laughs> yeah, and sure. so I, I loved Robin Hood. Uh, so I decided this is my top five. I've not actually seen all these. I'm guessing you probably have, or at least more than I have. Where would you put your number one out of these movies? uh bull, bull durham is definitely number one i okay. uh, bull durham is, is probably my favorite baseball movie if not my okay. even my favorite sports movie of all time okay so uh two here uh are we talking sports movie or like actual quality of the movie we're talking the the title is specifically we're gonna say kevin cosner sports movies so yeah, i'm still just gonna go with the quality of the movie uh, <laughs> i'm gonna you go want to. the second best movie that i would say is probably uh Upside of Anger is pretty good. I would say I put Upside of Anger to Field of Dreams. Go and put Field of Dreams too. Upside of Anger 3. Okay. And, and then uh, Tin Cup 4. I like Tin Cup. Um, okay. Molly's Game 5. I kind of like him a lot. American Flyer 6. Uh, okay. McFarlane USA 7. Okay. Chasing Dreams 8. Play It to the Bone 9. 
for the love of the game, 10, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, 11, <laughs> and Draft Day, 12. Fantastic. Okay, so there's the official Will Leach, Kevin Costner sports <laughs> rankings. Fantastic. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up the interview. Thank you again for oh, devoting this time pleasure. to come talk to me. I had a great time with this. I will hopefully get this online soon. It's my um, pleasure, of course. And and let me know when. It, and now now that we've done this, you 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 have a moral obligation to make at least a second podcast. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I wrote a, uh, I wrote a piece of reviewing Joe Biden's podcast in the early days <laughs> for New York magazine. And the lead of the piece was on, on Tuesday, Joe Biden did something that most pod- podcasters don't. He made a second podcast. <laughs> so, so I've already emailed Joe Sheehan because I subscribed oh, yeah. to his newsletter and I told him, Hey, Will Leach agreed to be on my podcast. So you got to do it next. And he said, okay, <laughs> let me know how that one goes. Okay. Okay. Uh, so okay. I'm going to partly this to work my way up eventually. I'm going to send him a note being like, I don't know. I don't know about the careful of the rogue dad. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you come for the fire, you're going to get burned, man. Watch out. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me. That was it was really fun, and I'm a uh, uh, holler uh, holler once baseball season gets going. I'd be happy to chat again. Fantastic, thank you, Will. So that concludes our first ever Rogue Dad MD fireside chat with our very special guest, Will Leach. Thank him again for joining us. That was a lot of fun, and hopefully, we do get to do that again in the future. I have, in fact, already reached out to Joe Sheehan for talking about meeting him in March for a podcast. But in between, I have another special guest. So hopefully, we can get recorded and on air. Dr. Lindsay Klukies, a pediatric emergency medicine doctor with a special interest in injury prevention and also a diehard hockey fan as well as dog collector. So a very interesting person that you may not know, but you should definitely tune in when it's time to meet her. Until next time, this is Rogue Dead MD signing off.